Welcome to the Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. This summer, we're walking through the book of Romans, taking a master class from the rich and powerful book of the New Testament. Romans is one of the greatest books of the Bible. It is the essence of the gospel and provides the rich doctrine of our faith. Romans was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome, and God has used it to change the hearts of men and ultimately the world. In Romans, we see the impact of our sin, which reveals our deep need for God, and then the importance of living out our faith in Jesus today. Whether a lifelong student of the Bible to a first-time believer, this is a masterclass for everyone. Let's listen in. Welcome to church. Um, I want to tell you something about myself. If you don't know who I am, I'm the family pastor here at Rolling Hills. But um, for those who may know me, may not know this part about my story, I'm the son of a builder. My dad was a residential builder for over 30 years. And so I don't remember a time where I wasn't out on a work site. From the time that I was in diapers until the time I graduated, we just that was just a part of the thing. There's a story that my mom would tell that she would, uh, my brother, whenever, my oldest brother, uh, let me show a picture of my family. I don't think I showed you a picture. There's my family. So that's my dad, and there's my brothers. I'm the youngest, a.k.a. the favorite, by the way. Um, and so we would always be out in the construction site with my, look at that, those outfits, man. That's like 80s if I haven't seen. Um, but, but we would always be out in the work site all, all the time. And from the time we were at diapers, in fact, there was a one store where my brother, um, he was in diapers at the time. My, my mom had to go run an errand. And she was going to run by the, the work site and drop off my brother and let my dad keep my brother. Uh, and it was my dad and my grandfather. And they were working on the roof at this point in time. Okay, so the roof day, it was in the afternoon. They dropped off my brother. My dad had to get down from the roof, grab my brother. He's like, what do I do with this child? So what does he do? He takes this toddler to the roof with him, puts him on the roof, and nails his diaper to the roof. <laughs> so that he wouldn't go anywhere. That's how he took care of my brother. And it was like, how did we survive? Like, what are the things? Why did you do that? Can you imagine if that happened today and you're driving along and you see a toddler nailed to a roof? Child services will be called immediately. So we were were in the construction process the whole time. We saw from the beginning to end. And and, and so my, my job was the gopher. Anybody know what the gopher is? I would go for this and I would go for that. That was my job on the construction site. And so I, I saw the, the process and my dad would always tell us the most important part of the process is the foundation. Let me show you a picture of this. This is my dad working on a foundation. He said this is the most important part of the process because when you build the foundation, everything else is built on the foundation. So if you get the foundation wrong, you may have a house, but maybe five years you'll begin to see cracks in the wall you'll begin to see maybe a foundation that's being separated. Maybe it's 10 years or 15 or 30 years 
down the road and you would have a house that may be sunken or a house that's, that you have to uh, tear down because it wasn't built right. It wasn't built on a firm foundation. As we go through this book of Romans, think about it in this way. This is the gospel foundation of our faith. And the Apostle Paul is writing to the early church about this gospel foundation in a period of time of political unrest. Uh, where people were making their own truths and worshiping idols. This was a time where the society was very immoral. It sounds a little bit familiar, right? And it was a, the, a time where the early church was being persecuted uh, for their faith. And so Paul was writing to followers of Jesus to help them build a solid foundation that would combat against the storms of this life and the pressures of this life, and that we would be able to withstand the test of time. And today we're going to be in Romans chapter 5 as Paul continues this letter to the Roman church and really challenging us, but also giving us just basic truths about what the gospel is and what the gospel is not. So today, before we jump into Romans chapter 5, let me pray for God's word. God, we love you. God, we pray that, that we are forever changed by your words. Your words are living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. So God, use them to change us from the inside out. In Jesus' name, amen. So he continues his letter, Romans chapter five, verse one. Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have the peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into his grace in which we now stand. First point is the goal for God has been peace since the very beginning, since the Garden of Eden. It's been the goal because in the Garden of we've been fighting against God since the beginning. We've been at war with God and with others. And the Bible makes it clear, Romans 3.23, we talked about it a couple weeks ago, for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. But then Jesus came in, paid the penalty for our sins so that the wrath of God would turn away from us so that we can experience the peace with God. So let's get this straight. As we start this today, Peace with God begins with faith. It begins with faith, nothing else. See, it's not our works that gets us peace with God. It's not our grandmama's faith. It's not our, our parents' faith. It's not our traditions that give us peace with God. It is only through the work and the power of what Jesus did through his death, burial, and resurrection that we have access to God because of that. Nothing, nothing that we have done. Then Paul moves on, and he says this, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Man, we can do that. Because of Jesus, we've been justified by faith. We can celebrate that. That is amazing. Praise God for that. Throwing up my hands for that because that's worthy of our praise. That's amazing. And then he goes to the next verse. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. And then I forget, like, he's like, suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, character, hope, blah, blah. But I land on that word suffering. I'm like, wait, time out. We were heading in a good direction. Like, because of faith, we have all these things. And, and don't, don't take a turn for the worse. This is, this is something that I really, I really like the direction that we're headed in. Why are you bringing up suffering? Here's what we got to understand. As we walk through this book of Romans, that there's a foundational theological path that says that our faith is not void of suffering. 
I think there's a warped version of Christianity out there that believes if you just have enough faith, then suffering will cease to exist. If you just faith enough, then you won't have troubles in this life. That is a that's a warped version of Christianity. Some people would believe that say because you don't have enough faith is the reason why you're going through the suffering that you're going through because you don't have faith enough. That is warped. That is not Christianity. That's not the Bible that we read. And suffering here, I want you to understand, it's not, not suffering like persecution, suffering. This is bad things. He's talking about the bad things that happen in life. Yes, it is Senior Sunday, and we're talking about suffering. I get that. But I think there's a reality. There's a foundational truth when it comes to suffering. Paul makes it clear that suffering is inevitable. It's not the end, but it's inevitable. And Paul is helping us understand the purpose of our suffering. You see, suffering can either lead us to hope or despair. It's one of two things, hope or despair. And maybe this is your story, where you experienced, you, you got a phone call, or you experienced a pain, and that pain led you face to face with a God that you never knew before. Or maybe you experienced some pain and it, it did the opposite. It, it made you lose faith. Isn't it interesting how people can, can face similar circumstances and similar suffering and have two different responses to that suffering? I want to tell a story today about a guy by the name of Jim Stockdale. You may have known Jim Stockdale. He ran for vice president in the 90s, but he's mostly known for being a POW in the Vietnam War. You see, he was the highest-ranking United States officer as a PO, in, the, in the prisoner camps, in the POW camps in the Vietnam War. And this guy spent eight years in a prisoner, uh, prisoner of war camp in Vietnam. In fact, he, he was tortured over 20 times. And one of, one of the reasons why he was tortured, because he, would, he refused to participate in North Vietnamese propaganda. And so what he would do, oftentimes he would cut his face and disfigure his face with a razor so they wouldn't put him on camera. See, this guy was tortured over 20 times. Can you imagine? And he got out of the prisoner of war camp later on, uh, eight years later. And, and uh, Jim Collins, who wrote the book Good to Great, interviewed him um, as a piece in his book. And he said, well, how did, how did you make it through, Admiral? How did you make it through the POW camps and all the things? And this is what he said. He said, I never lost faith in the end of the story. He said, I never doubted not only that I would get out, but also that I would prevail in the end and turn the experience into something, some divining event of my life, which in retrospect, I would not trade. What? So this guy went on to do incredible things. And then Jim Collins was like, okay, tell us about the people who didn't make it, that, that were, you know, that, that didn't make it through the whole thing. And he said, that's easy. It was the optimist. And then he went on to say, he said, they were the ones who said, we're going to be out by Christmas, and Christmas would come and go, and Christmas, and Christmas would come and go. And then they would say, we're going to be out by Easter, and Easter would come, and it would go. And then they said Thanksgiving, and then it would be Christmas again. He went on to say that these men died of a broken heart. These men died of a, a broken heart. And then he went on to say, here's what, here's what he said, I need you to know what's most important here. He said this, you must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end 
which you can never afford to lose, with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they might be. Here's what he means. You never give up hope, but you don't deceive yourself into thinking that nothing's happening. So you never give up hope, but you also never refuse to face the things that are difficult. You hold both of them in the balance, the hope and the difficulty. See, Christianity is the same way. We have a hope, we have a future hope, and it's tethered to our current reality, current facts. The problem is we get so focused in on the hope that we try to pray away, we try to hope away, we try to faith away the problems in our life, the terrible fact that suffering is just a part of the package deal. Though there is, suf- though there is hope, there is also suffering. That's found foundational. Because the difficulty of Christianity, Christianity is this. There is a cause and re- effect relationship between sin and suffering. We get the cause and effect of personal sin, don't we? The things that we do wrong, the things that we do to disobey or hurt somebody else, and, and we have consequence for that. We get, we get that. But what about the suffering that we don't cause? Have you ever thought about that? the suffering that we don't cause? This really goes beyond personal behavior to the global reality. There's a global relationship between sin and suffering. It doesn't seem fair, does it? That, that people would suffer and you didn't have any control in the matter. It wasn't because of something you did. It wasn't because somebody else did. It was just the, the, the current reality of we are, where we are. Disease. Hunger. All these things that people experience in the world that are painful. Sin, when sin entered the world, it brought in death, suffering, and pain. Because here's the reality disobedience opened the door to suffering. Disobedience opened the door to suffering. There was a cause effect of global sin. And this was Jesus' message when he came to the world. He, he had a message of hope, but he never lost fact, uh, fact of the reality that, that this consequence of sin, that sin was making its way through the world and it was affecting all people. And there's a, there a story in John chapter nine that Jesus used to illustrate this. And Jesus was walking along the road one day and he looks off to the, looks off to the side and he notices a man that was blind. And this is what it says. His disciples asked, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents who caused him to be blind? Because you know what they're thinking? They're thinking there has to be a cause and effect relationship between the, their parents or his sin and the, what they're going through. It was because of they sin that, that their, their children is experiencing this blindness. They don't quite understand the global effects of sin that leads to suffering. And Jesus responds in this way. Neither this man nor his parents sinned. This is key. Jesus said, no one here is responsible for this. This is because of the global consequence of sin coming in this world. And then he said this, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. What? In other words, I will use this to display the works of God, meaning this, meaning he's going to use this as an illustration to the fact that the Son of God has the power over global sin, which infers that he has the power over our sin. He's giving us, get this, he's giving us a solution to the greatest problem that we have, and he says, sin. Then he reads on. 
As long as it is day, we must do the work of the one who sent me. Night is coming when no one else, no one can work. While I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. He says, while I'm here, I'm going to shed light on our greatest issue. Yes, there is hope, but there's a reality of the consequence of sin that happened at the very beginning. We go back to Romans now, Romans chapter 5, verse 12. And this is, this is the Apostle Paul. He writes it. He says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sin, the global consequence of sin. Then he turns here and jump down to verse 17. For if by the trespass of one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in the life through this one man, Jesus Christ? You see, death and pain and suffering may have entered the world, but death, pain, and suffering will not have the final say. The enemies come to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus said, I have come to give life an abundant life. And then we jump back to the suffering part of the passage, verse three. Now let's read on. Now we have a good understanding of suffering. He says, not only, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Because what? Because we know that our sufferings produce perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. Hope does not put us to shame. Bad things are gonna happen in life. But he's saying rejoice in those. What? Well, how can we rejoice in those bad things that happen in life? How can we glory in them? He's saying, no, don't rejoice for the pain, but rejoice in the fact that knowing that, that God is gonna do something greater in me than I could ever imagine. You see, starts with suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance. What is that word perseverance? It, it means endurance. It means the endurance is the ability to keep going when you got nothing else, right? It's, it's the only thing you got and somehow, some way, you've made it, you made it through, you make your way through it, that we can live through the hard things. How many of you know people who, who show great endurance and perseverance in your life? Right, they, they, they just, they're battling. They're, they're, they're the grind. I mean, you don't know how they're doing, but somehow they're going through suffering and you're like, how in the world? Because then it says, because that perseverance produces character. And this word, it really means proven character, proven character that has gone through the furnace of affliction and is burning off any impurities away. Peter says it this, this way. When you suffer, your faith, more precious than gold, is being refined so that it will result in praise, glory, and honor at the revealing of Jesus Christ. In suffering, God might just be trying to prune away some bad habits in us. God might be trying to make us more dependent on him instead of idols. He might be trying to strip some good things away from us so that we would know that he is all sufficient, that he's worthy of our praise. And that it, that Corey Tim Boone said it this way. She said, I never really knew that God was all I needed until he was literally all that I had. I said, in other words, suffering leads to dependence. 
Suffering leads to dependence. I don't know if you've ever, has anybody ever been desperate before? I would say all of us have ever been desperate before. Time and time again throughout Scripture and throughout the the writings of of the, the New Testament and the life of Jesus, we see people falling at the feet of Jesus in desperation. In desperation. And I believe it's that desperation that leads us to dependence on Him. It's the suffering that leads to dependence on Him ultimately. And then he says this. Character leads to hope. It leads to hope. You know what hope is? Hope is the confidence that God is working out all things for good. And that one day he's going to restore things in the resurrection. In the meantime, that God is saying he will never leave us nor forsake us. He's always going to be present with, with, with us. And his presence is better than any earthly gift. And that every painful thing on this earth will come to an end one day. All this suffering will, will stop one day in eternity. That we look forward to that. We look forward to the hope. Here's what hope is not. Because I think in, in church world, we often, whenever people say the word hope and use the word hope, it, it comes with a percentage. Here's what I mean by that. Is that whenever you think about hope, you hope it rains tomorrow. You hope it doesn't rain tomorrow. There's a 50-50% chance of this kind of hope. That's not this kind of hope. The Greek word here for hope means assurance. It means confidence, being confident, being assured that God is going to do what he says he's going to do here. And in the end, the goal is this, that hope will move us beyond earthly gain and earthly pain. I love looking at the life of the Apostle Paul and all that he went through. You talk about a dude that went through so much pain. This guy was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was like, he, he was like knew the book of the law. He was like persecuting Christians. And then his life was completely radically changed for the good news, for the gospel on the road to Damascus. And he did a 360. And you know what happened? He began to face suffering. He began to face his own persecution, even as he shared the gospel. And he got to the point where, and we talk about a lot, where he was like, man, God, this is too much for me to bear. I can't do it anymore. Will you remove this thorn from my flesh? Because because this this suffering is is, is so difficult and so hard. And and God says, hey, my, my, my power is made perfect in your weakness, and my grace is sufficient for you, is that I'm producing something in you I'm producing something in you that is far greater than you can ever imagine. So hope moves us beyond earthly gain or earthly pain. And the question is, how? The next verse. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. I want you to understand, this is the first mention of the Holy Spirit in the book of Romans. Do you know that? This is the first mention. And the Holy Spirit is the first and best installment of God's love towards us. It lets us know that God is always present with us. You see, the Apostle Paul, at the beginning, what does he start with? He starts with having peace with God, okay, through faith. And then he's moving to how can you experience the peace of God through the work of the Holy Spirit? You see, you can have peace with God, in this relationship, but that doesn't mean you will always experience the peace of God. 
that takes work. That takes intentionality. That takes us to be intentional about, about listening to the Holy Spirit and, and being in tune with the Holy Spirit and intimacy with God through the power of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said this to his disciples in John chapter 14. He, before he went to the cross, he was preparing them for trouble. And he says this, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and remind you of everything I've said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. In other words, the world will lead you away from peace. In fact, the world will oftentimes give us a counterfeit peace that looks similar to peace, but it's really not peace. I don't give as the world gives. So do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You and I both need the work of the Holy Spirit to experience peace with God. The Holy Spirit uses people, uses places, uses situations, uses his word, uses prayer, uses gratitude as tools that lead us from suffering to hope and not despair. Suffering to hope and not despair. That even when you walk through pain, that somehow, some way, you can have hope. See, it is not that we are delivered from suffering. What Paul is really getting at is that you're going to be delivered by suffering, by suffering. And the end result is hope. And this is what I love. He follows this up with saying, you know, there's a faith, and you got suffering, but suffering's going to lead to hope, and it hopes because of the power of the Holy Spirit. Then he follows by, by this. He said, right after verse five, he reminds us of the cross. You have access, you have hope, you, you have the Holy Spirit. How? I love this. You see, just at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. God demonstrated his own love for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Here is Paul's logic. It doesn't, it, it kind of makes sense, but then it doesn't. Because, because sometimes that an exceptional person will die for somebody he loves or she loves. You think about a parent dying for their child. That makes sense. I would stand in front of a bus for my child. Everybody here who's a parent would sacrifice their lives for their child, like we love them so dearly, but this is not the love that we're talking about that God displays, right? God's love is not like me laying down my life for, for my kids, it's not. You know what God's love is like because I'm his enemy? God's love is like this, it's like, it's like laying down my life for a terrorist who murdered one of my kids. Now think about this. Imagine if a terrorist murdered one of your children and is being sentenced to life in prison and you showed up or I showed up to this court hearing and said, hey, I will take his place in prison. In fact, I'm gonna give him all my money so he can go home and take care of his own kids. Who would do that? God did to make you a son and daughter of King Jesus. That's that's what he's talking about here. We, we bring nothing to him, by the way. We bring nothing to him. 
If we are fallen, if we are broken, then we bring nothing to him, but he chose us. Why? Because of his great love towards us. And I, I like to picture it this way. Whenever Jesus was hanging, literally, he was hanging on a cross. He was dying for those, those guys who left him previously. Those disciples who abandoned him, that, that Peter who denied him three times, whenever he was hanging on a cross, he was dying for Peter who denied him. What's beautiful about it is that in his resurrection, he came back to Peter to redeem him. To say, look, forget about it. I love you. And I've given you purpose. And I want you to follow me. And Peter established, he was the rock of the church. And he had these 12 guys who were so dysfunctional who built the church. And the reason why we're here today is because those 12 guys believed the gospel enough to share it with others. And it transformed lives. I want you to understand something, that Jesus suffered with us. That's the first thing. He suffered with us. He came to the earth. He lived among us. He experienced afflictions. Though he lived a perfect life, he experienced all those harsh. He even wept. He took it a step forward. He suffered for us. He suffered for us. And here's what I want to give you today. That's why we have hope. That's the foundation of our faith. The question is, what is your foundation built on? Let me ask you another way. What is your kid's foundation built on? That's why we're so passionate about investing in the next generation here at church is that we want to build this type of hope in the next generation. We want to remind them that God chose them, that God gives them purpose and meaning in life through the work of Jesus, right? In our brokenness, he came to save us. We want to instill that into the next generation and build a firm foundation of their faith. So, so the question is, how do we build this type of hope in the next generation? A hope that withstands the storms, uh, the test of time, a hope that, that they can see the end in mind, a hope that's built on Jesus. And let me give you a couple of ways that we can do that in the next generation. The first is this. We have to intentionally model a behavior that we want to see. Now, I want to talk to you, the adults in the room, and say, we don't have to be perfect at this. You don't have to be the perfect parent. But what we do say is you have to be an intentional parent, modeling a behavior that you want to see. And let me take it a step further, because I don't think this does it justice. That we have to intentionally model a gospel that we believe. If we truly believe what we say we believe about Jesus, how does it change our lives? How does it change how we treat people? Do we model Christ and model sacrifice and model forgiveness and model intimacy with God, which doesn't just stop on Sunday morning, by the way? Like, our kids need to see it in us. The second way is this, intentionally create opportunities to learn about the gospel. And here's what I'm mindful of all the time because I think we can un unintentionally do this. I think we can unintentionally um, hinder our kids from learning about Jesus. 
That comes in a lot of different ways. That comes in the priorities we set. That, that comes in removing them from places where they can learn about, about Jesus and learn about the gospel truth and build a biblical foundation. And, and the question is, is it how do we surround them with a faith community that's going to encourage them, that's going to build them up, that's going to love them, that's going to challenge them, that's going to point them back to Jesus? Here's what I know to be true about parents. You are the primary spiritual leaders of your home. You're not the only voice. And that's why we need to be intentional about placing them with other voices, other adult, adults that are going to encourage them. They're going to lift them up. Then place them in a small group of, of, of teenagers or, or kids who are going to study Scripture together, who are going to build that biblical foundation. Here's what I, here's what I want to give you is, is that we have to build a gospel worldview in them, a biblical worldview, because our kids... If you didn't know this already, our kids are excellent observers, but they're terrible interpreters. You know what I mean by that? Like, whenever they see you do the things that you do, and maybe they know what you believe, are they having a hard time connecting the dots? Because they're interpreting things that maybe you don't want them to interpret about you about your faith, about my faith. They're excellent observers and terrible interpreters. You know that gospel foundation in the next generation happens when the adults in their life are intentional about living out the gospel. That they know and can articulate God's great love towards them that led them to repentance and that causes them to love other people really well. Can they see it in us? We pray that the next generation will establish a foundation that won't be taught out and they won't be bought out. That their faith will withstand the test of time. That their foundation will be built on something that's solid. On Christ, a solid rock I stand. You know, today we celebrate a group of seniors. And we're going to have them all come at the last service and we're going to bring them up here and but we're celebrating in them at all services. But today, we're also doing a family dedication at 3 o'clock. So I'm dedicating babies today as well. And that time from baby to graduate happens just like that. I talk to parents all the time, and in the conversation, we talk about your kid's age and your kid's grade, and we talk about the school year. And in fact, if I go to you today, and I'm like, hey, what did you think about the school year? You'd be like, it happened so fast. I can't believe we're here at this moment right now. I remember, I remember whenever I first brought home my baby girl to, from, from the hospital. She's seven now. And so as a parent, you're carrying this thing, just hoping not to break it. You're like, I just want to keep this thing alive. I don't know what I'm doing. But somehow, some way, God uses you. And God equips us. But I use this as an opportunity to tell you that time is slipping away. We don't have time to waste when we invest in the next generation and build a firm foundation for them. And we use this as an example, and I've used this before in different settings, but, but there are 936 um, marbles in this jar. That represents 936 weeks of life. So from the time that your child is born until the time that they graduate is 936. And so the goal is, like day one, whenever I brought her to, home from the hospital, 
Like that, that's a week. And then I want to go through all the days. And we're going to be here all day, so be like, be like. But then you get to kindergarten, you're thinking, man, the time just flew by. Like, where are we? We just finished kindergarten in our household. And we're like, man, this, this little girl is growing up so fast. And then you get to all the grade school stuff and the graduations, because every grade has a graduation now. And, and then you get to middle school. Um, they're going through a lot, guys. And sometimes we can wish phases away. I don't know if you've ever done that before. And we try to remind parents that it's just a phase. Don't miss it. Because before you know it, it's going to be over. And you won't have time left. So you have all these phases and high school and all those things. And here's, here's, the, here's the idea. Is it Psalm 90 verse 12 says this, teach us to number our days that we would gain a heart of wisdom. When you know how much time you have, you begin to make the most of that time. And because before you know it, like these graduates are gonna be doing, you're gonna lose all your marbles. And you have no more time left. So God, teach us to number our days that we would gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us not to waste time in investing in the next generation we, we can get lost in a lot of things. The homework, the after-school activities, the sports, the awards, and we miss out on what's most important, the important conversations, the eternal conversations that we have with our kiddos. Because ultimately, here's what we want to see for our own lives. 1 Corinthians 3.11 says this. For no one, no one, no one, can lay any other foundation than the one we already laid, which is Christ Jesus. We want to build that in the next generation, that their foundation is built on Jesus, that we'll be able to withstand the storms of this life, that when they experience the tough things and the suffering this life has, has given us, that they would point back to Jesus. Say, because of Jesus, I have hope. Because Jesus, we can make it through. Because of Jesus, I can do hard things. Because in the end, He's going to redeem it all. He saves. Let me pray for us. God, my prayer is that we would, as, as a church, as adults, that we would model what it looks like to be gospel people. To model a sacrifice that you ultimately paid for us. For while we were still sinners and while we were broken, you gave your life away. Why? So that we can have life and life to the fullest. So God, my prayer is that you would work in us the power of the Holy Spirit, everything that's pleasing to you so that we can do the will of the Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. Share this episode with friends and family in your life. Make sure you subscribe to be notified so you never miss a sermon. If you are interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast is a part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.